and welcome to this week's episode of Cargo of Bricks. Now, today's guest is Professor Pete Sherlow, who is Director of the Institute of Irish Studies at the University of Liverpool. And I began by asking him why so many Northern Irish politicians seem to ignore the insights of social science, particularly when, as he claims, it can allow them to look well into the future. So, uh, Pete, tell us a bit, really, about what you think um, social science can and probably should bring to the party in uh, what I've heard you call a post-accord Northern Ireland. Well, I suppose when we when we think about that post-accord Northern Ireland in 1998, uh, we hoped we would transform ourselves into a an evidence-based society, given that we come out of conflict, which, of course wasn't evidence-based, was actually something that was very different to that. And, and that we would build some sort of a society where there would be parties to mutual respect. And I think one of the things that really didn't happen was, you know, the political parties didn't maybe move into that issues-based politics. That, that really was what most people who voted for the agreement had hoped for, that we would move into issues about poverty, social economy, domestic violence, you know, gender issues, building the economy, creating jobs, investment, better chances, and all of that. So, you know, you, you also have the benefit of your of a social scientist. You know, civil servants can't really say what they think to a certain extent as well. And so you have this, these two universities. You have us social scientists. We can enter the public square, and we can most certainly do several things. I think the first thing is, you know, the research we do has to be based upon rigor. Uh, it, ha- it can't be biased, it can't be prejudiced. Uh, it has to go through ethics of, of universities. You, you can't just start a research project without getting approval. It uh, most certainly is about trying to measure issues in a way that presents evidence so as you can develop ideas, develop you know policies and agendas. And I think also what it is, is what social scientists have is that broad knowledge. We, we don't just look at Northern Ireland. If we're, if we're looking at knife crime, you know, in Belfast, you know, we wouldn't just look at knife crime in Belfast. We would look at knife crime elsewhere and look for solutions that came from other places like Glasgow, for example. So one of the things that we should be bringing to the table is that sort of objective, you know, high quality uh, research, which, which should be embedded in the wicked problems of our society. And what they should really be doing, what social scientists should be doing is, you know, ensuring that there is a space, that there is a place where we actually talk about poverty, jobs, investment, mental health strategies, and all of those things, but in a way that helps the assembly, in a way that assists it, and I and I think, you know, irrespective of the, the you know the DUP and Sinn Fein, uh, you know, having to manage constituencies, and having to manage the wicked problems of sectarianism and parading and legacy, etc. You know, the role of academics should really be to be offering up. What are solutions? What are the what, what are the policies and the programs? And I think you know what's important is, you know, and, and what, what sort of to a certain extent happens is a lot of social science research is dismissed because we cut across the ethno-sectarian divide because we aren't entering the fray trying to keep a constituency on board. We're entering the fray because we're social scientists and we're trying to measure what are the issues in society and how best to resolve them. So there's a piece of work we did which the Assembly funded the final stage of, 
where we looked at 800 families at interface areas in Belfast. So you have this paradigm with a lot of uh, capital invested in it, which is the community relations uh, paradigm, and that you should get young people, you know, and interface areas into a room, and somehow Protestant Pete and Catholic Mick, if they sit and meet each other, they'll become best friends and, you know, and all of that. And of course, we did this research and followed those families for nearly a decade, and then we got that funding from the assembly. What came out very strongly was the issues in interface areas were not sectarianism. The issues in interface areas were family friction, they were poverty, they were intergenerational trauma, they were issues which were actually not conflict related. So here you had a piece of research which said if you want to solve these problems of violence, crime, drug taking, uh, you know, all of the you know young people at risk of entering into poverty, third and fourth generational mental health issues, etc. That that you, that you shouldn't be spending money and basically getting him in a room and saying I'm orange and you're green and I'm green and you're orange and let's be friends, which there's there's very limited research that shows that that actually works. What you should have been concentrating on was how to fortify and strengthen families. So 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 this is research, you know, based on the conflict, looked at the conflict issues, looked at the issues that are relevant today, and young people saying the problem I have is staying away from cocaine. The problem I have is I've leaving school here with no qualifications. The problem I have is I get battered at home. The problem I have is my parents are, you know, are mentally unwell. And these are the issues that really were relevant. And you present that to the assembly, you go up to the committee, you give them that evidence. It goes nowhere because you're challenging a paradigm, which is which is with all that investment has been in this community relations model where the investment should actually be in the issues of poverty, should be part of the programme for government. Okay. No, that's really interesting. And that that's a kind of a, if you like, that's a sharp end uh, picture of something happening in a very specific place. But, of course, you've done other work as well, not least the survey before the, uh, the Westminster elections last December, which actually gives us some insight into the way that the wider patterns of cha- are changing, not just amongst... Um, socially uh, deprived areas, but 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 really in Northern Ireland as a whole, where you, you know, um, you tell us a little bit about some of that, some of the insights from that research, and really, to what degree is it? Do you think um, your job as social scientists to ask better questions? Well, you see, see the question. You see the issue about better questions. Okay, any social scientist who's doing research on the ground and in society should be generating questions from society. They should be generating questions and observations. It's like when we go off to do these surveys about interface areas and young people to around us and say, those aren't the issues that affect us. It's the thing, same thing when you work with businesses and they say, those aren't the issues that affect us. It's like a young couple we were talking to recently who said, you know, we run a business here in Belfast, but we couldn't set one up in Dublin because of legal reasons. These are the issues that affect us. When do politicians ever talk about issues like that? But a person from Dublin can set up here and compete with us. So, so, so it's those sorts of things that you know that it's generated from before you even design a piece of research, having conversations with the people with, with whom you want to engage. You know, we're not we're not social scientists to go out like geologists and study something that is other. We go out and we study in in association with people, and that's something which is really important. So the the, the Westminster election surveys we do at Liverpool. 
Uh, and it's one of those, I told you so, because one of the things that those surveys showed uh, over the last decade was there was going to be a growth in the Alliance Party vote. It was obvious that this was going to happen because in, the, in each of these surveys, which are household surveys across Northern Ireland, across the Westminster constituencies, the question comes back to what you're saying, Mick. Instead of asking questions about the conflict and questions about legacy, ask lots of questions about jobs, investment, uh, uh, the, the climate change. Ask questions which are also not on the media, questions which are not in the print media or the radio or the TV, which are the everyday issues that affect people. And when you ask those questions, what you found was uh, lots of young people who don't really, who don't, there's one of those questions we ask every time there's an election, which is really important, which is that question about basically the question is who benefited most from the peace process? Okay. And an older generation, of course, prods say Catholics generated or benefited more, and Catholics say they benefited more. When you ask young people that question, 48% on average state don't know. We don't know who benefited more. So basically, the, the, the way in which we would have grown up, who was getting the jobs, who was getting the investment, what community was getting this, what community was getting that. You know, you had a younger generation who were going, don't have a clue. Because it's not, therefore, that tells you something, doesn't it, if you follow the logic. This is not a conversation that they're having. This is not an insecurity that they have. This is not something which is framed constantly by us and them. And and, and then when you looked at that research, you know, you saw, you know, and it is really worth repeating this, the complete diametric opposite of political unionism within the Protestant community, who are as likely, if not more likely, to support gay marriage and more likely to be pro-choice. Uh, so, so what you actually had well, well, in asking the right questions and delving into people's attitudes beyond the constitutional question, what you actually found was that there was a post-accord generation who seemed to socialise together, who were going back to stiff little fingers, engaging in barbed wire love, uh, much more than, than uh, later our generation, and who were also... Uh, you know, just when you ask questions, are you a victim of the conflict? No. Uh, do you know who's benefiting from this? No. Uh, and it's not, it's not that they're not political or disinterested. So, so you can see that work and, 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 and also the benefit of that is, you know, seeing, you know, the, the Alliance Party vote, the last one we did, you know, big move. Everybody was saying, you know, that was, uh, you know, the Alliance was turning to, the, to a green nationalist politics. Like the survey we did, completely the opposite. They were getting DUP voters who probably were uh, looking for somewhere that was more uh, socially liberal than the DUP. So, so, so those surveys are important because, you know, but the problem is the fascination, of course, is with the, the fascination at that time of the media was only 29% want the United Ireland, whereas to me the fascination of that media is this is a society which is now fluid. This is not the society you and I grew up in, Mick, where everything was pretty set. Church on a Sunday, mm. roast roast meat and two veg, you know, uh, gravy, you know, football on a, uh, on a Saturday, fish and chips on a Friday night. Your dad, your dad worked, your mother stayed at home and you, you know, you, 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 you doffed your cap to your betters and uh, you lived in this little grey, grim conflict that was going on around you. This is a place that, you know, you can see this vibrancy of repair and renewal taking place. And of course, you know, it, it, isn't it interesting that what comes out of all of that where you see a society that's fluid, 
where, where that fluidity allows you to see the future in a way. And what comes out of that is the first question anybody asks you is, are we going to have a United Ireland? You know, maybe maybe in some ways we do have a shared place now. Maybe we have a, a different type of united place that's starting to emerge. Not perfect, of course, but but even but but I think it, it's that type of social survey so social survey work which is important because you're exploring transition over time. And I think the other thing is important here, Mick, is you know one of the ways in which we can solve this, this the, the wicked problems of our society and poverty, etc., is through uh, social economy. Okay, rarely have ever discussed in the politics of Northern Ireland, but like a, a major feature of analysis within universities, where, where people have really strong ideas on the green economy, social economy, cooperatives, you know, the way in which you can create jobs, the way in which lots of societies coming out of conflict have done that. And, and, and I think also, sure. you know, you asked about the importance of social science. The importance of social science is critical here because it's, it, it, it's dismissal. And the failure to pick up on what it's saying is holding us back from building a better society. Because social science sends out a signal. It tells you what's happening in society. It tells you where society is going. And if we really want to have a shared society, and irrespective of your pro-unity or pro-unity pro or pro-staying in the union, you have to understand this society is changing. Not, you can't ignore that. And you see how the political parties did ignore that to their peril. In our conversation... Um, before uh, we, we recorded, you talked about the importance of having an enlightened civic space. Tell us a little bit about that, why you think it's important for uh, facilitating some of this fluidity, if you like, the bringing in some of this change into the political process. Well, I think it's critically important because, uh, you know, any, any society coming out of conflict needs more than the political high table. It needs to have other voices. And if we're in the business of repair and restoration, you know, you need business voices. You need not just community voices. You need mental health voices. You need people who are going to invest here. You need, you need to hear their voice, etc. And you need to hear people who maybe can talk about alternative ways to build wealth and distribute wealth within this society. And the problem with our uh, two main political parties is they, they, is, is they, they corral themselves. You know, the, 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 you know, the, 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 you know, it's you used to see that when I worked at Queen's University, you know, Republicans who were sitting having coffee with the Republican social scientists and unionists sitting having coffee with the unionist social scientists and, and, and the new social scientists are probably working on very similar things. And it was that sort of question of trust. So, you know, as, as somebody like myself who would consider themselves to be on the left, you know, why would my voice not be relevant to political parties in Northern Ireland who want to build alternative ways to shape and frame the economy of our society? Uh, so, so I think that's very important. There's still that sort of corralling with the parties. A trust issue, you know, I, I, think, I think they have a trust issue. Uh, if you bring these people in who are different, it's somehow going to uh, change us or it's going to institutionalize us or, you know, we make we make we make policy behind closed doors, and that's the way we've always done it. And not trusting alternative voices and alternative ways of seeing things, I think, I think that's a real problem, and something that we do challenge privately with the parties. That you know, you should engage with what's being said here. This is what's actually happening, and and, and I hopefully now they might in a way because you know the last election was not great for them, and you know that's where the research that we had done show why that was going to happen and how it happened and the reasons why that happened. 
because people had moved on into different places and different types of understandings of society. But one of the things that really does concern me is some of that work we did around civic unionism, where we were trying to get young voices, young young professional people, you know, liberal lefties, you know, people who are pro, you know, social and uh, not social conservatives, people who want to have, you know, uh, marriage equality, etc. People who want to share the place, people who are pluralist, you know, although would call themselves unionists or be pro-union, and they wouldn't enter the public square. They just wouldn't do it. And 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 there's something fundamentally wrong in a society where we're supposed to be getting away from the dark days of fear and intimidation, and we have young people who are saying, uh, I, "I don't know if this happens to Republicans and Nationalists either. I, I I just don't know this, but my experience has been in trying to get young unionists to step forward and say what they think." And one part is they're afraid of the DUP and they're afraid of being seen as being unionists. And, you know, when young people say to you, I really couldn't do that video for you. I couldn't come out and speak in the public square. I have a job interview next week. Like there's something fundamentally wrong when that happens. And and the civic space thing I think is critically important. I mean, there's a lot of smart people in Northern Ireland. You don't get Game of Thrones and you don't get that, you know, cultural production that we're excellent at and you don't get the fintech technology, you don't become one of the top 10 regions in Europe for digital investment. You know, you don't become a place with massive investment from America in cybercrime technology. You know, we do have some smart people in this place and, and, and it'd be very nice to hear their voice. And I, and, and I think also to hear their voice in a way which maybe does then start to break down that ethno-sectarian politics. You know, I don't care if you're a Catholic businessman or a Protestant businessman or woman. Are you going to create jobs? How are you going to create jobs? What is it we can do to help you create jobs? How do we create better jobs? How do we create a living wage? You know, it's 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 all of those things I don't think fall anywhere near green and orange lines. I think they fall within lines of social justice, democracy, investment, and planning a future. And and I don't see how you can plan a future without those voices like I, I live here now I live in Liverpool now and yeah. one of the things I noticed when I came here you know Toxteth which most of people will know is an ethnic minority community here uh, anybody who was here in the 80s would know you know boys in the black stuff in Liverpool basically had fallen through the floor I go into meetings here about community or social justice and there's lawyers bankers uh, people who would be you know have done well in life uh, sitting around the table talking about the civic future of their community, of the city. I don't see that in Northern Ireland. I don't see the people sitting around. The t- I understand there are some individuals who do good things, but everything I go to here has a social capital. It has a social capital in which people who are wealthy or people who are prominent or people who are educated or experienced are sitting in a room with deprived people, people seeking social justice. You know, you look at what they did in Liverpool. They rebuilt the city. They rebuilt it through civic pride. They rebuilt it through a civic notion. Uh, you know, you see this all across Europe, where civic pride has been restored, where people have shown that initiative because they were given a voice or they sought a voice. And whereas what we have in our society is all of those civic leaders, like business people, we, we brought in a piece of research recently in the protocol, and business people were said they would give us quotes, but they only do it anonymously. So you're asking us, to, you know, our job is to gather evidence and then people are saying to you, yeah, we want you to gather evidence, but don't tell people what we said. And the obvious problem with that, Pete, is if people 
say don't tell anybody what we've just said, there's no wider provenance for those stories. And therefore, the reductive stories of the, you know, parties dealing with the traditional wicked problems of Northern Ireland get to dominate the public space, dominate the public imagination. And there's a locking out of new ideas that actually might help some of those politicians fulfill the the quid pro quo of normal politics, which is if if you elect me, I will do things that will benefit you and wider society through the exercise of my own judgment. You know, the, the Edmund Burke kind of uh, speech to the electors of Bristol kind of uh, approach. Um, so I think that that's, that's absolutely fascinating. So it's certainly something that we've been struggling with, I think, um, through Slugger for for many's a long year is that how do you get those new stories out but how but how do, so if we know if we know we know from our personal and research experience that northern irish society is changing where do we hear that because when i go on the social media i see anonymized sectarianism like i i was one day on social media i was called a unionist bigot and a republican lackey now, I'm thick-skinned and, and all of that, but, you know, you know, but the, the actual issue that was being discussed had just fallen in. You know, you know these, how these threads work, Mick. There's two or three sensible comments, and then it collapses into, you know, 1916, 1690. And, and you, you know yourself, you know, yeah. if, if, you're, if you're somebody who's middle class and you, things are going quite nicely for you, and you do have ideas about how to change society, you know, and you wanted to be a better place, and maybe you came from a humble enough background, and you want to you want to do something about the place you grew up in. Why would you do that if somebody's going to call around, turn around, put you in the the social media frame, and call you a unionist bigot and a Republican lackey, or do-gooder, or whatever else? So there's this lack of maturity because we have the people. Sounds a bit sounds a bit like the Bionic Man. We have you know, we, we, we have we have the people. We have people doing wonderful things around, uh, you know, uh, violence. We have people doing really good things around restorative justice. We have people doing really good things around the social economy. This guy in the shankle who got young lads off the street repairing bicycles. You know, he's paying them a living wage. He's keeping them away from drugs. He's keeping them away from influences of paramilitarism. You know, here's this thing for you. Lock Brickland Primary School won a prestigious peace prize. Up there with Nobel, okay. That say, say there were ten peace prizes in the world, the ten most prestigious peace prizes in the world, and Lock Brickland Primary School won one of those prizes. I think they got something like eighty grand, and it was a Belgian peace prize and a little uh, diamond made in the shape of the school emblem. And I met the the, the head teacher from Lock Brickland Integrated School, okay won this prize for, for basically uh, the work they had done in breaking down sectarianism in Loch Brickland in that area. No media coverage. Mm-hmm. No media coverage. Small rural school wins global peace prize. No media coverage. Nothing. Nothing. It's, it's the time of the clue in place riots. And there's a women's group in East Belfast, which obviously morphed into the sort of work Linda Irvine was doing and, and Gary Mason in the Methodist Church and, and obviously the community of Short Strand. And during the Clue in Place riots, which were all over the papers every day, 
they persisted in bringing out a small booklet on living in inner East Belfast. So when you talk, when these women came together at the start, of course the issues were the troubles and green and orange and all of that. After months of living and work, living or sorry, uh, meeting each other and knowing each other, they brought this booklet out, which was about I have a son with Asperger's and I can't get assistance. I've been a victim of intimate partner violence. I have a son who can't get a job, something else, whatever it was, okay, real life issues. And they brought out a pamphlet, a little booklet on their shared experiences, which desectarianized East Belfast. It was about women's issues living in a deprived community. And you have the crew in place riots going on and they're rigging each other to make sure each other, each one's okay. Where was that published during the Clune Place riots? Page six in a two inch paragraph of the Belfast Community Telegraph that used to be put through your door. So you had these women who were using a community infrastructure to challenge sectarianism, their own social science, organic social science, capturing their own stories. You have Clune Place which is dominating the media, about to bring down the assembly. And these women show the tenacity and spirit that you need to change society. And it ends up in the sixth page of a newspaper that's put through your door, which people either throw in the recycle bin or use to light the fire. Why wasn't that on the front page of all the newspapers? Why was that not the counter narrative? Why was that not, you know, and, and the thing is, this is not that these women hadn't tried. They had sent this out. I had written a media release for them. This stuff had gone to all the media outlets. So there's two examples of positive interaction, which comes out of social science approaches, and nobody nobody knows about it. Cargo of Bricks is brought to you by Slugger O'Toole. Support us by going to sluggerotool.com and hit the donor box. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from.